Well, good morning. You say back, good morning. Oh, I'm back. You say it back to me if you'd like again anymore. Good morning. There you go, I can hear you. Um, so we're continuing in our sermon series looking at Ephesians, um, and this series is going to see us through right until Christmas. So we're slowly walking through chapter by chapter the letter to the churches in Ephesus. And as we've been discovering already in the last few weeks of doing this, this series, this letter is just an incredible example of drawing us into the, the amazing, incomparable work of Jesus in the church and through the church. That's what we've been finding in the last few weeks, isn't it, especially? Um, and actually, even Meshach's word and prayer is so relevant for what we've been reading about, that drawing together in unity in Jesus. So we're continuing with the series, and today we're reading from Ephesians chapter 3. And the, the title I was given this week for the sermon was The Mystery of Christ, which is nice and enigmatic, isn't it? So what I think I'll do is I'll just leave some space, and then the band can come back up again and then lead us in worship and response. <laughs> That's a good joke, isn't it? I'm actually going to do a preach. Um, I've got a question for us. Does anyone like an escape room? Or anyone ever done an escape room before? Your hands up. Yes. Yeah, very good. Very good. So, um, Lindsay and I, my wife and I, quite enjoy doing escape rooms, though obviously haven't for a good while. And uh, during lockdown last year, we decided to try and kind of recreate the experience. So, we bought an escape room in a box. Have you ever heard of those? You might think that it's like one of those massive boxes filled with like big clues and doors and things like that, but actually it was just a box about the size of my iPad. Um, so you had to kind of visualize this imaginary space that you're then going to be trying to escape from over the course of time. So we, we got into it though, we're like, let's spend the evening doing this. So we put on some intense music, we set a timer on our phone, and we're like, okay, let's see how far we can get through this. It took us four hours. <laughs> And uh, I think we got the lowest possible score when you look back at the scoring options for how you get on. But you know, it was good fun, <laughs> um, and I recommend it. But the premise of Escape Room is this, that um, essentially there's this mystery to be solved. And so long as you're caffeinated enough, which clearly we weren't, and you're willing to think outside of the box, you'll come to discover the, the secret. You'll figure out the mystery. But when we read about mystery in Scripture, it's an entirely different way of thinking about the same word. It's not something which is a problem we can solve, but mystery, as we see it in this passage we're going to read, is far more about something which was very important, which once was hidden and now has been revealed. That's the difference. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 3 from 1 through 13. You read along with me. I think it'll be on the screen behind me as well. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles have heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the work of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, he created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, 
according to his eternal purpose that be, he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So what a passage. It's, it kind of feels like one really long sentence, doesn't it, uh, and as you're reading this. And it is a bit of a funny section to read in, in isolation because um, you kind of need to have read Ephesians chapter 2 in order to fully grasp what he's doing here. And also you need to kind of continue on to the next section of chapter 3, which is kind of the, the following the same argument. You see, um, the, this is likely a bit of a tangent. Uh, so, so Paul's just, saying, just started speaking, and he's, um, he's in the middle of talking about, uh, in, as Ephesians 2 and Eddie and May shared about last week, this idea that all things are drawn together in Christ, that he's broken down any walls of hostility so that we might come to know him, and all are invited. That's what we're talking about last week, and he's, this, this, he's now at this point where he wants to talk to the church about how he responds to this, what his act of worship is in response. And so he's saying, for uh, I, Paul, for this reason, and he's about to go into worship, and then he stops, and he's like, wait, hold on. No, no, I need to probably explain something first. I can't just jump into this. You could almost imagine, because he's likely saying this out loud and there's a scribe writing it down, that he's saying, I, for, I, for this reason, I, Paul, and he's like, wait, wait, no, no, hold on. Scribble that bit out. We need, to, we need to explain this first. And this is what he feels he needs to explain. Paul wants to make it clear to the churches in Ephesus why he is suffering. For Christ, why he's in prison? Because I think he realizes in that moment, as he's as he's writing to them, that they are grieving about the fact that he's in prison, that he's suffering for the message that he shared with them. And there are three things that he wants them to hear as churches. First, he wants to remind them again about an incredible mystery that has been revealed. Second, he wants to remind them of the part they have to play in revealing this mystery to others. And third, he wants to help them understand why he is willing to suffer so that this good news about the work of Jesus is made known. A mystery has been revealed. This mystery is ours to share, and it's worth suffering for. That's the three points, and I'm going to come back to each of those. A mystery has been revealed. Let's start there. Well, as I shared at the start uh, just before, we need to kind of get out of our head this, the kind of modern idea of mystery and how we relate to that word. Because most of us, when we think about it, we think about a mystery novel, maybe, or a puzzle that needs to be solved. But when we look at mystery in Scripture, the Greek word that's being used is talking about a knowledge that once was hidden and is now being revealed. A hidden knowledge that God has revealed. And that's the key difference in the use of the word. This is something that God has made known, and only God could make known. We would never have come to know it any other way other than God sharing it with us. And why is that important? Well, we, we live in a time where kind of empirical knowledge is almost the way that we define all sense of truth, isn't it? We say this thing is true and valid if we can measure it up against the other stuff that we already know and experience. So, so long as we can compare it, then we'll, we can trust that it's true, you know? So let me give you a random example. Marine biologists say that there are about 5,000 marine fish yet to be discovered species-wise. And that over the next 15 years, they'll discover them. And they're right now discovering about 150 new species every year. There you go. There's a pub quiz fact for you. But the way they'll present their discovery is the way that every scientific discovery 
is presented, right? They'll discover what they think to be a new kind of fish, and they'll say, okay, well, is this new? Let's compare it to the fish we already know. Oh, it's got some, some similarities to this one, but it is different to that. Okay, let's explore the behaviors of it and work out, is this definitely a new fish? Oh, it is. Great, let's present this discovery. This is our new fish, and then they give it a name. It's the kind of a standard approach to unveiling something which once was hidden. In case you're wondering why I use a random example of fish, we just got a fish tank. So I've been reading about fish online quite a lot. I know I'm just, I'm just that cool. Um, but as we approach God and his plans, we simply cannot approach him in the same way. God is not the same as his creation, and we can't come to know him just by comparing him with other stuff around us in this world. What we know of God is only what he has chosen to show us, what he has chosen to share with us. It's not something we could have discovered by any other way. And the, Paul, the, point, the po point that Paul is making is exactly this. God has chosen to make known an incomparable, incredible plan. And we know it because he's shown it to us. You know, I think for many of us, we can probably unintentionally forget that this is the case, right? Rather than seeing the gift that God has given us and showing us who he is, we can start to take it for granted that we know what God is like. But when we, when we do that, and when we get into the habit of doing that for so long, it, it can lead us down some, into some kind of troubling ways of thinking. In fact, there's one of them which is called projectionism, which essentially is this idea that we put onto God the stuff that we think he is like. We project onto him the, the way that we think God should be. And it might be that we end up starting saying things like, oh, well, God couldn't be like that because, you know, I, I couldn't think like that. Or God can't have done that because, you know, I would never consider doing that kind of thing. Do you know, it, it's, it's quite sim like, uh, subtle, but we can get into the habit of doing it. And I think probably all of us will do it at various points through our lives because somewhere else, elsewhere in Scripture it says that we only know in part. So we don't know the full picture and some of it we have to just kind of trust is beyond us. But this, this passage, I think, is a reminder that the very best approach we could have as we approach God is with humility. We don't take things for granted, but we allow God to reveal himself to us as he is. We come to him and invite him to share who he is, his character, his plans, his work, as we spend time in his presence and as we read scripture together. We come to him with, from a place of humility. So we've talked about this, this idea that this mystery has been made known, right? But what exactly has been revealed as we read it? Well, in this case, if we look at verse 6 of the passage I read, it says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what is this promise? Everyone stands on equal ground before God. And all are invited to come to know him, no matter our background or our experiences or our history. And this is some of what we heard being shared last week. Because, you know, nobody was expecting that this would be the case. Throughout history and before this point, the Jews believed that they were the only ones who were able to come close to God. And God was their God alone. And they made it clear to Gentiles that they would always be at a distance from God. And in this plan, through Jesus, God has made known a different way. He's completely changed the landscape. All of us are welcomed near to participate in the incredible riches of Jesus. 
And you know, the same welcome is available to us afresh this morning, whether we feel worthy of or not. And I wonder maybe if any of us are newer to exploring church or have been away from it for a while, I just want to encourage you that God's plan includes you. That this message is that all of us are welcomed to follow Jesus. And if you're exploring faith, then we'd love to journey with you through that, to pray with you that God would reveal some of that plan that he has for your life. We'll do that at the end in our prayer ministry. But for many of us who've been following Jesus for a while, this might just feel like such a basic truth that it can kind of have lost its meaning or uh, any kind of, of the value of it. Because this is what we get to call our everyday lives, isn't it? Every day we get welcomed into relationship with God afresh. We get to know the welcome of God each day. We get to approach Him with freedom and confidence in our day-to-day lives. And I think it maybe becomes so ordinary to us that we, we lose sight of how incredible it is that that is our reality, right? Paul talks about this promise that we have in Jesus, and he uses the language of boundless, boundless riches of Christ. That's verse 8. Just think, just think about that word, boundless. And he uses the word later in this passage, immeasurable. Think about how we try and get our heads around those words, boundless, immeasurable. We can't really, right? <laughs> the whole point of those words is that it's beyond us. <laughs> it's so much bigger than we could ever come to know fully. But we live in the day-to-day by the measurable and kind of bounded, isn't it? It's like we live within the laws of the world. And so I wonder that maybe every now and then we need to find ways of kind of taking a step back from that measurable stuff and allow ourselves to grow in our, our wonder at who God is, to expect that he has more to share with us. You know, Kids, I think, are really good at wonder, aren't they? I think we start to lose some of that natural desire to wonder after God. Um, my, my son, Micah, there he is, is captivated by leaves right now. He absolutely loves leaves. Like, so we, we'll go for a little walk, and that's a tree right beside our house. And he's just quite content to go and pick up the leaves and then put them down again and then step on them and then lie down and put the leaves over his head. And that's pretty much all he'll do for about 10, 15 minutes, and then he's happy to go home again. <laughs> There's, there is a sense in which children get this in a way that we can lose as adults, isn't it? That they are just constantly expecting to discover something new and wonder at what they've discovered. How might we practice wonder as God's people, as adults who are used to seeing things that we expect already? How expectant maybe are we that there is more of God for us to discover? That there's more of God for us to discover than we could discover in thousands of lifetimes. That's what boundless means. There's no end to what God has offers on offer to us. I just wonder maybe in the last year that many of us, because of this pandemic and because of lockdown, our, our expectations have shrunk. And we've allowed the restrictions of this last year, the challenges of this last year, to cause us to think less of who God is or to expect less from him. Maybe the invitation for us this morning is to expect more again, that there are boundless riches in Christ on offer to us. I wonder, just before I go any further, I'd like to pray for us around that, um, just that we would be inviting God to reveal more of who he is 
to us this morning. So let me just pray for us and we'll keep going. Yeah, Father, we are aware in amongst the, the day-to-day and, and amongst the ordinary of this last year that we might have lost our perspective on you, that we might have allowed our perspective of you to shrink, our expectations to lower. I just want to pray, even in this moment, that you would begin to cause us to wonder at who you are again. Would we expect that there is always more of you to discover, more of your character, more of your goodness? Would you draw us to pursue you more and more each day, trusting that there's more of you to discover? I pray you'd be doing that work in our hearts even just now. So that's the first of the three points that we, we read from this passage. This is a mystery revealed to us, and all of us get to now join in with this incredible work that Jesus is doing, uniting all people to himself. So if that's the first thing we learn, the second thing we learn is that this mystery, which has been made known, is also for us to share. In verse 7, Paul talks about the fact that this gift that he's been given, this knowledge, is also his calling. The mystery revealed to him is the message he's being called to proclaim to the world around him. Paul carries this conviction that what he has to share is simply just not for himself. It has to be for others. And I think that's the same. It's the same is true for us. There's a calling which comes attached to the gift of knowing the person and work of Jesus. When God gives us something, it's never really just for us. It's not just for ourselves. More often than not, it's given so that we might bless and encourage others. It's given for us as church together to serve one another. It's given so that we might be part of the transforming work of this world. There's a theologian called Klein Snodgrass, which is a great name, and he says this. It's going to come up behind me as well, I think. Grace comes as a gift, but it enlists us and empowers us. We become stewards of grace, responsible for showing others how it works, like all gifts from God, it is directed out to other people. To receive grace is to be taken into its service. So you see, Paul realizes that this gift that he's been given, this knowledge, was given so that he could share it with those around him. And he unpacks more of what that means in verse 10. Verse 10 is incredible when you really take time to read it. It says, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, this mystery revealed, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So what does that mean? God has chosen to reveal his incredible plan for creation through us, through his church. All of the created world, both physical and spiritual, are looking to the church to understand more of how God works, of his character, of his plans. This city sees the plans of God displayed through us. And you know, what's amazing about verse 10, I, I don't know if I've ever noticed this before, is that it says that spiritual beings, so angels and demons, are looking at us in order to discover what God's plan is. They didn't know what it was before. Uh, and you can see that elsewhere, Jesus talks about this, that the angels didn't know what God was planning. There's a theologian called Susie Silk, 
who's a pastor at a church in New York, and she says, if you've ever wondered whether there's anything meaningful about your walk with Jesus, consider that angels and demons are watching the way that God relates to you in order to understand more of who God is. Isn't that a bit of a crazy thought? <laughs> Isn't that a bit of, like, I feel like I, I can barely get my head around it. But that's the way that God has chosen to work. And the big thing is that this gift that we have received, this, this knowledge about the ways that God has, is planning to work amongst his creation, the plan he has to work through Jesus to bring salvation, it cannot be discovered by accident. The role that we have to play as church is to display to the world the incredible reality that God has made known to us. That the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus invites all of us to participate. All of us are welcome. This is what we know, and it's what the world needs to know, isn't it? Our flatmates and families and colleagues, our neighbors, and just those we encounter in our, we encounter in our everyday lives. And what, what I'm not saying is that that means it's up to us alone. We're not the ones who actually bring people to Jesus. That still remains the work of God to make what was hidden known. That's what this passage says. But the part that we do play is that we live open lives. That's the word display means. We put our lives on display so that other people might come to see what Jesus is doing in us and through us. You know, we sung, we sung the song, Yes and Amen, earlier, didn't we? And that, that comes from a verse in 2 Corinthians which talks about the fact that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And the response of the church is to say, Amen. The work of God is in revealing the promises he's made through Jesus. And our response is to say, Amen. Let it be. Let our lives tell that story. So I'm going to do something which um, isn't very British. It's a little bit more Pentecostal, but I want you to come with me on it. You up for it? You ready? I'm going to say something, and I want you to respond together with it. Uh, so I'm going to say this. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And then I want you all together to say amen with like gusto. You ready? All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Amen. Let's say that again. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Amen. One more time, even lighter. Come on, you can do better than that. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Amen. Great. That is our call as church. We are called to be the amen that this city hears. That the let it be that in response to the work that Jesus has done, as we proclaim God's good plans, that they find all of their place in fulfillment in Jesus. And you know, that's why we're choosing to be all out in the rhythm of our months. That's why next Sunday we're not gathering here, but gathering across the city. We want our church to be on display to this city. We want them to see the work that God has done amongst us and for us to share it with those around us. So a mystery has been revealed. This mystery is ours to share. And then lastly, and just briefly, this mystery is worth suffering for. That's the last thing that Paul says. This mystery is worth suffering for. Because you see, he's writing this section because the church are concerned. They're grieving over the fact that he's in chains. And he wants to help them understand that this was the inevitable outcome of him sharing this mystery that has been revealed to him. It, 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 and he wants them to know that it is worth it. It's worth facing persecution. It's worth facing ridicule. I wonder even maybe the word that's most relevant for us in our context is, 
is worth making us look foolish. That's probably what it looks like for us, isn't it? Paul is suffering because he is willing to share this mystery, and he knows that it is the glory of God, for the glory of God and for the beha- on the behalf of those who don't know him yet. You know, I think it's just important to note as well that when you, the New Testament talks about suffering, more often than not, it's talking about this. It's talk about, talking about receiving persecution as we pursue actively our faith. It's not necessarily talking about grief and heartache in that same way, but it's about when we choose to pursue God and are, and are persecuted for it. That that's the kind of suffering that it's talking about here. But when that, that happens to us, it produces something in us. It does something to us. It builds character. It increases our hope. That's the kind of suffering that, that Paul is, thinks is worth it as he, as he pursues God. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 1. It says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. And so my question for us is, are we ready to look a little bit foolish? <laughs> Does this message that we know matter more to us than how our status looks, the way that we look in the eyes of others? Are we willing to look a little bit silly because we know how amazing it is that God is at work amongst us? I just want to pray for us to close, to be empowered and sent as we consider this in our day-to-day lives. And so let, let me do that. So, Father God, we thank you for this passage and for the reminder of the amazing work that you've done, Jesus, that you, the Son of God, came to earth to live and die for us so that we might have a future in you, that we might get to join you and participate in the resurrection. Forgive us for where we've allowed that truth to just become ordinary to us. I ask that, as I was praying earlier, God, that you'd increase our wonder at who you are and all that you've done. And that out of that place, it might draw us into a place of mission. That we'd be people who want to open up our lives to others, to display the work that you've done in us. But we recognize that this isn't something that we can do on our own. And God, in in fact, you don't call us to do it on our own. It's not in our power, it's not by our might, but it's in your spirit. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us afresh. To lead us, to draw us to the people that you are working amongst. And to increase our expectation that you want to work through us to reveal your incredible plans for all creation. I say this in Jesus' name. Amen.